Our reading this morning comes from our minister emeritus, John Cummins, from the introduction to a book of his sermons titled, This Strange and Wondrous Journey. What I would like to say to the people of the future is this. You will look back on us with astonishment at the truths which stared us in the face that we did not see. You will look with wonder at the bright toys we created and used only for the rape of the planet and for each other. It will seem strange and beyond believing that we reached for the stars and did not know the simplest keys for living well together. But know this also, you of the future, you with your libraries and fountains, you in your star cities, Know that even in our slumbers we dreamed. In our fumbling, shadowed search for mistaken glories, even in our clumsy cruelties, it was for you that we dreamed. Beneath the piled-up centuries, below the lost and ruined rubble of our striving, it was you who lay safe and folded in the womb of our dreaming. You, the first cause of all our daring. So it was Christmas Eve. It was the candlelight late night service at my previous congregation. And there was a family there that I had seen many, many times before. And I'll admit that evening I watched them. There in that flickering light, I watched how they were together. Now, this was a family that came every week, three teenage siblings, a mom and a dad. They sat right up front every week together. They were there on time. I don't know how you do that with three kids, but every week, there they were, right up front, and they were smiling, and they were there. So that candlelight night, they were there again together in the sanctuary, and I looked. I looked at the way the mother and father gazed at each other, that 25 years of deep knowing the ups and downs, the challenges and joys they'd been through together. I looked at the way the siblings treated one another, the gentle laughing and teasing that took place in the quiet. And I watched as the oldest son, easily 20 years old, tucked his head into his mother's shoulder shoulder and snuggled in there as the ministers told the old holiday story again. I watched this family that Christmas Eve night and on all of those Sunday mornings. I watched them for one single and very selfish reason. I wanted to be like them. I wanted, I want my family to be like theirs. Now, I knew them well, so I knew their struggles and challenges. I knew they were a regular family. They are a regular family just like mine. And they loved one another fiercely. That is what I admired. That is what I saw in them. They loved each other and this world fiercely. It is what I think so many of us long for. 
So it was a Sunday morning sometime after that Christmas Eve service, and there they were again, that family, right up front in the church early to to the service. So I went down and I sat and I talked with them like I often did, and I talked to the dad on this particular week, and I probably was telling him how much I admired his family and what I wanted like him. And he turned to me and he said something I will never forget. He whispered in my ear and he said, you know, it hasn't always been like this for me. My biggest accomplishment in life is that I have never hit my kids. It has not always been like this for me, he said. It's taken all that I have to do things differently. It's taken me reaching out for help. It's taken taken a whole lot of effort, and it is different now. Now, there were tears in my eyes as he told this to me, of course, and then the prelude music swelled, and I had to run up to the front of the church and sit in front of everybody and try not to cry for the beginning of the service. But I'll tell you, I was and I am so grateful for this snapshot view into one man and one family's life. It wasn't always like this, he said. But with a deep desire and a whole lot of help and a whole lot of effort, this man wrote a different story for himself, for his family, for the generations that will come. He chose a different story. He carried the dream of a future that our minister emeritus John Cummins spoke of in the reading this morning, that source of all of his daring, a hope for a better, brighter future for those who come next. This hope for a better world for our children, our grandchildren, for the generations we will never see. This hope for a better future. I think it is something we share, whether we are parents or not, grandparents or not, whether we are childless by choice or by circumstance. All of us, I think, share a hope, a dream of a better, brighter world. Now this desire, this dream that I believe we share, it is something I heard a lot about during my Hopes and Histories gatherings with all of you. In fact, as I asked you, what is it you hope for this church to do, to be in this world? You spoke over and over again about our responsibility, the actions we could take as a church to build a better, fairer, more just world. You talked about us taking on the real issues of the day, be it global warming or climate change, be it the possibility of basic safety for everyone, opportunities and privileges, an end to war, a hope for peace. You talked about all of these things and wanting us to play a role in building that. And I listened as you talked. One of our elders, I think, said it best in, this, in these gatherings that I had. And our elder said this, frankly, at my age, which I can only guess was in the 80s, frankly, at my age, I am done with introspection. What I care about is the kind of world we're leaving for my grandchildren. This is what I care about. Now, on the surface, out of context, I think it would be easy to make mistakes about what I am fairly sure this elder of ours was saying. And here's what I believe they were saying. I believe they were saying, I'm not worried 
about myself anymore. Frankly, I don't care so much about myself anymore. I'm worried about the world. I'm worried about the legacy that we are leaving for the generations to come. And what I want more than anything is for this church to live into its power and responsibility and to get about the work of changing this world for the better. That is what I think our elder was saying. And of course, of course, this work will involve introspection for us. It will involve us listening deeply to where love is calling us next. It will involve us leaning into a greater love that can hold us through the ups and downs of the struggles for justice and possibility. It will take all of us living to the best of our ability, a balanced and healthy spiritual life. And as we do this, we will choose new stories. We will build this better world. And I know this because we are doing it already. We have been on our way with this journey, with this work for some time. And I'll tell you, last week, as we gathered here on Sunday morning, when Justin and I were able to read a letter to our children, I was filled with the joy and the knowledge that we are doing this work. When we were able to look at them and say, with the defeat of these two amendments, you beloved children, are living in a more fair, a better, a more loving Minnesota. We made that difference. Through the work that we did together here, children and families, adults and elders, through the partnerships we created with others in the community working for justice, we did it. We wrote a new chapter in the story of this world, of this state, and it is a story of a better, brighter place. We did that, and we need to do it again and again and again. We need to do it again and again and again because in so many ways the world we are living in, the one we are giving our kids, it is a toxic one. It's the 24-hour news cycle of violence and danger. It's the random violence that's penetrated even the previously protected sanctuaries in our world. It's the distance we have, so many of us, between us and the land, between us and the food that we eat, between us and the impact of our choices. There's consumerism running rampant, telling us we just need one more thing, right? One more plastic, disposable, pretty much useless thing to be really, really happy. It is all these things and so many more that are pushing against us, that are pushing against us and making us and our kids sick. I know that if we want to build, if we want to continue to write this story, to build a better, fairer, more loving Minnesota for our kids and for the generations to come, that if we really want to create this world for the kids that we dedicated this morning, we have a whole lot of work to do ahead of us. In her book titled The Shelter of Each Other, Mary Pfeiffer, the renowned family therapist and author and Unitarian Universalist, she explains it this way. She says something I think most of us know. Raising healthy children is a labor-intensive operation. Contrary to the news from the broader culture, she says, most of what children need, money can't buy. Children need time and space attention, affection, guidance, and conversation. They need sheltered places where they can learn what they need to know in order to survive. 
They need jokes and play and fun. They need to have stories told to them by adults who know them in all of their particularity. They need adults who care about them, who are invested in their moral development. And I'll tell you, when I read this paragraph, which I read over and over and over again, as I read it, each time my heart both sang and sank. And I'll tell you, it sang because I know you all. I know the families that many of you are raising or have raised or the adults here that are important in children's lives. And I know that you are doing your best to offer just this kind of world, just these kind of experiences for them. I know that here at our church, we are dedicated. We give of ourselves to the over 500 children and youth that come here. We give them time and space and attention. We give them guidance and conversation. We give them sheltered spaces where they can learn what they need to know to survive. We give them jokes and play. We tell them stories by adults who know them in all of their particularity, with adults who care about their moral development. We do these things here, and so my heart sings. We are on the right track. We can do more, we can do better, and we will, of course. But we are on the right track, giving kids, giving the next generation what they need to survive in this world. But I will tell you, as I read and reread that paragraph from Mary Piper, my heart sank too. And it sank because of this. It sank because I know on average, right, a really active family here at church and really active family out there in the world at their church, they will get approximately 30 hours of religious education in a year. 30 hours, 30 weeks of coming for a class. Now, I hold that, 30 hours, right? And then I hold over here this other piece of knowledge I have that the average child in America these days takes in 10 hours of screen time a day. That's 10 hours of media coming in at them, whether it's coming from computers, iPods, iTouches, iPads, an old television. There it is. It's coming in 10 hours a day for most of our kids. So you take that, 30 hours of religious education a year on the one hand, and say one month of media exposure, 300 hours over here for our kids. 30 hours, 300 hours, one month, or one year, one month. And I'll tell you, when I see that, when I hear that, my heart sinks. We have a lot that we're pushing against, a lot of messages that are coming in for our kids and for us, too, that we need to push back against. So not to leave us all in a downer place about that. So I'll tell you, I wrestled, and I'm still wrestling with that. I was grateful to come across the next part of the paragraph, right? The, the answers that Mary Pfeiffer provides. She says, in the current family hurting sh- culture that we live in, in this current family hurting culture, families must learn to do two things to survive. They must protect themselves from what is most hurtful to the health of the family and they must connect with what is good outside of the family. They must protect themselves from what is most hurtful in the culture and connect with what is good. Protect and connect. It's two things that I think, honestly, are good for all of us, whether we are raising kids 
or not, to protect ourselves from what is most hurtful in the culture and to connect with what is good. Two things. And I think, I really think, that if we can do that more and more, that protecting and connecting, we will continue to write new chapters in the story toward a better, more fair, more loving Minnesota and world. We will do it if we can continue to dream. So this is one dream and how it took shape. Six years ago or so at the First Unitarian Church of Rochester, New York, where I come from as my most recent previous ministry, we decided to have a dream. We launched a project there called the Greater Good Project. It was fueled by a desire to push back against the consumerism that so many of us were feeling. It was fueled by a desire to build a better place, a better world, and fueled by a longing to build some deeper meaning out of the winter holidays. And out of these desires, something new happened. And this is where I know when I heard it for the first time, I, what we asked each other to do through the Greater Good Project was to cut our holiday spending in half. For that first year, we asked each other to keep track of what we spent on the holidays from Thanksgiving through the New Year. How much did we spend on special food, on decorations, on gifts and cards and postage and shipping? How much did we spend on all of it? And then we asked each other to cut it in half. Cut it in half and give the half we didn't spend to the church for a project that would serve the greater good. Now, I'll tell you, when we announced we were going to go in this direction, we knew it was going to be a bit of a challenge. We knew we were going to have some controversy over this, and we braced ourselves. But I'll tell you, along with that little bit of controversy and resistance, a whole lot of other things started happening, too. The first things we started seeing were a little more creativity around the holidays. New traditions or old traditions coming back. Folks recycling their gifts, using a little less wrapping paper. We saw people buying less plastic, less disposable stuff. We saw that folks were making changes there. But I think, for me, the most exciting thing that happened really, I didn't expect at all. And it was what happened for our kids. What happened was that it was the teenagers of our church who were on the news each and every year. It was the teenagers of our church who were out at the mall handing out fake gift cards that said, you don't need to buy anything, you have enough. (laughs) It was the teens of our church who were out there on Black Friday doing this. It was folks from our church and it was our kids who were leading the way. These kids who get so much, right? So much of that media influence, that consumer culture being pushed in on them. They were pushing back. And they were not alone in pushing back. They had a thousand of us at their back. And we were pushing back together against this world that was harmful to them and to us. We were doing it together. Now that first year, we raised way more money than we ever expected. We raised $80,000 the first year. And it was not new money, it was just money we weren't spending on other things. $80,000, and we gave it all away. $40,000 to a local organization that stood with families who had experienced violence. $40,000 to begin a long-term partnership with a village in Honduras, where together, over six years, we have built 
clean water production capabilities. We've been able to create a medical and a dental clinic. We've since, and we built a school and we've provided scholarships for probably 80 kids. Through those gifts and donations, we made and are making real differences there. Now, all told, in six years, the Greater Good Project out of that Rochester congregation has raised over $370,000, enough to build real partnerships and to do real work and make real change in this world. And through the project, I think the church was able to offer what all of us need most in order to survive and maybe even thrive in this world, protection from what is most harmful in our culture and connection with what is good. So friends, I don't know exactly what shape something like this might take in our congregation, but I'll tell you, I have big hopes and I have big dreams for us. My dream is that we might act boldly, that we might go ahead and put ourselves out there in a way that supports our kids and our families and the generations to come. My dream is that we might not just ask our kids to listen to us, but to follow us, to listen to our actions, to see what we do and who we are, and to know that we will support them on their way. So friends, whatever shape it takes, I know that we can do this work together. We can write new chapters. We can choose a new story. May this be the work we do. May it be so, and amen.